and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. to the podcast. I'm really excited to introduce my roundtable today. We're going to be talking about the myths of ABA, and I have three BCBAs on the podcast with me. I'll have Sarah introduce herself first. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm in Ohio, and I am, my primary role is I'm an intervention specialist or special education teacher in a high school setting, um, but I'm also a BCBA that I work in a clinical setting as well after school. And my name is Abby Moringer, and I am an integrated teacher in upstate New York. I work in the primary grades, and I'm also a BCBA. I'm Lizzie Hill, and I am in Florida. Um, I'm a self-contained special education teacher for K through 5, and I am also um, started seeing kids in home as a BCBA. And then in case you're finding this podcast through Sarah, Abby, or Lizzie, I am Nicole. I am not a BCBA yet. We're recording this in March. Hopefully by June, I will be a BCBA. So it depends on when you listen, what my credential actually is. But right now, I'm just working at a clinic as a therapist. And so today, we're going to talk about a bunch of myths of ABA. And I figured, why not bring people on who are in the field to help us kind of talk through those? So the first one we're going to talk about is that ABA is only DTT or discrete trials. So... Do one of you just want to explain what that even means for someone who's never heard the term DTT before? Um, I can just, I can kind of throw it out there. Um, And you guys chime in if I miss anything too. (laughs) Um, So DTT is a like teaching method that you can use. And it's kind it's composed of like three different components. You have, you know, your instruction, then you have what the child does, hopefully following that instruction, and then you have what comes after, which would be like the reinforcement of that instruction or correcting if they make an error. That's the basic framework of DTT. Um, In an ABA, like stereotypical, most people think it's drilling flashcards. But DTT can look like so many different things and you can use DTT for a wide variety of skills. I worked at a clinic previously um, as an RBT before teaching, and I think maybe if I had a four-hour session with a kid, I think I maybe did true DTT for five, maybe 10 minutes. I mean, there's so much more to ABA than just that DTT. There's that natural environment teaching and incidental teaching and all of that. So if you're working on tacting, you don't have to hold up flashcards and say, what's this? What's this? I mean, you can be playing and be like, oh, what's that over there? What should we go play with? And you can hit all of those targets without sitting at a table with flashcards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know in the classroom when people hear that I'm a BCBA, they're like, oh, this kid could really use ABA, you know, and they think that it's just that skill and drill, which is such a small part of what ABA is, you know, it's this whole framework and um, it really is just a teaching method, like you said, Sarah, and it's just such a, it's a valuable part, but it's a really small part of ABA and what we do. 
Mm -hmm. And I remember this was pre-pandemic, but one of my older clients that was in middle school, I took um chopping a target to buy stuff to make pizza. And we came back to our center to work on it. I'd shared that in my Instagram story and someone DM'd me and they're like, how is taking your kid to target ABA? And it was just like, oh, there's so much more to ABA than just those flashcards. But a lot of people just assume it's eight hours of just showing pictures and having people answer. Right. I think it's important to to understand that ABA is applying principles of behavior. It's a framework, like kind of what we've just said. It's, there's a lot of good teaching methods involved in the framework, but just like any good teacher, you're gonna change it dependent on your learner and you're gonna involve a lot of other um, variables and a lot of other things like all dependent on your learner. So it's just, it's a framework and this is just one tool in our toolbox. All right, and we talked about natural environment teaching. Do any of you want to talk about any other styles that you use with ABA? I use a lot of PRT as well, um, both in my classroom um, and in the clinical setting. Um, PRT is basically kind of contriving the situation. Like if I'm working on my learner um, making requests and maybe using PECs. I use PECs a lot in my classroom with some of my kids. Um, and I wanna in increase this child, you know, asking for something with his pictures. I may contrive the situation and I may have the favorite item kind of a little bit out of reach. So it encourages him to use his pictures, um, but I'm kind of setting him up for that. I'm not just where it's like a natural environment um, teaching, you kind of, you see the moment. It's those teachable moments that you see and you're like, ooh, this is a good time to slide this in and try to teach that. Whereas pivotal response training is you're kind of setting them up for it. Yeah, I love when you will like give a kid, maybe say he's having um, a pudding cup and you just give the pudding cup and you just kind of wait there to see if they'll mand or request for, you know, the utensil that they need. And I love doing that, um, especially like on the fly in the classroom. It's really, um, you know, teaches those kids the skills that they need. Mm -hmm, absolutely. All right, the next thing that we're gonna dive into, talking to all of you who are working in a school setting, a lot of people assume that ABA cannot be used in the school, particularly in those general education environments. So some people might be like, oh yeah, ABA's in schools, but only in those self-contained programs. But as we know, ABA can be used pretty much anywhere. So do you guys wanna talk about what that looks like in your school settings? Yeah, I can um, start with this one. So I love when it kind of blows people's minds that it can be a classroom-wide man behavior management system and even a school-wide behavior management system. Um, one of my favorites is called the Good Behavior Game. I love to use it in my classroom, um, and it works with all the kids. You know, I'm in an integrated set setting, so that has kids with disabilities and kids who are typical. Um, and to see the increase of on-test behavior in turn results in the increase of academic achievement. Um, so I love to use those. Um, something else that my whole school does, which is really great, is PBIS, which is just a very large scale token economy system. And I am so fortunate to work in a building that has that, um, which I know not all of them do, but that you know is guided by ABA principles. All of these things that people might not think about, they think typically it's you know one kid with behaviors that are problematic, um, where really it can be very wide and general. Yeah, kind of to piggyback off that, I also work in a district that uses the Good Behavior Game. Um, PACT is the like, you know, formal name, I guess now. Um, 
but yeah, it's just a large scale token economy system. Um, and it's just really neat to see how effective it can be in a larger setting as well. Um, but in my particular classroom, so I have a self-contained um, classroom in the high school setting, but I've also taught elementary, I've taught every grade level basically, but I'm now at the high school and my setting is self-contained. Um, we have um, some pretty moderate to intense behaviors. And so um, in implementing a lot of those ABA principles into my setting can look um, very similar to something like the good behavior game. And I have some kids who are working on an individual economy system. And then I can, I also have like a class-wide system. So um, it's just like, like we've said earlier, it's, it's all dependent on your learner and um, how, you know, how those kids need to learn. So. I even have another interview, podcast interview that I did with Cassie from Adventures in Behavior. And she is a middle school teacher. And in that interview, she talked about how she uses chaining to teach multi-step math problems. So you can take those same concepts and even apply them to like upper academic skills as well. And I think a lot of people, like that even blew my mind. I wish I'd thought to do that when I was still teaching because it would have been really effective. All right, so the next one we're gonna dive into is that ABA is only for our kiddos on the spectrum, which we know it is not. So Lizzie, you would put in, we had a Google doc that we used to help plan and Lizzie, you would put a pretty simple sentence. Simply ABA is the study of behavior mm -hmm. um, and behavior is everywhere. I mean, a lot of people think behavior and they think, oh, kicking, screaming, no. I mean, it is a form of behavior, but so is talking, eating, walking. So everything we do is behavior. And ABA principles are used so, uh, or throughout so many different areas, like companies, you know, businesses use it to increase productivity, you know, weight loss companies use it to target certain audiences. I mean, it is everywhere. And I think once you kind of start breaking it down to people, well, you know, actually you're working for your paycheck, which is, you know, you're getting reinforced. People are like, oh, oh, you're right. <laughs> so it's everywhere. Yeah, I was just gonna kind of say that too. Like ABA basically is, you're just looking at what in the environment has an effect on you. And then if it's something that you don't wanna keep doing, making tweaks to those variables in the environment, to get you to stop doing that or to get you to do something that's a little bit better than what you're doing. Like, um, I know for me personally, I'm not the greatest at eating fruits and vegetables. I like to have my snacks and stuff. And so I can, you know, like Lizzie said, you know, you see it in weight loss programs and um, sports and things like that. And, you know, if I wanted to work on increasing how many fruits and vegetables I have per day, I can use the principles of behavior to help me eat more fruits and vegetables and not eat as much candy and junk. Um, and it's just kind of understanding how um, things in our environment affect us and how we can tweak them to make us more successful and happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that people don't even realize that there's a whole um, like aspect, a whole, uh, like if ABA is the umbrella, there's um, the organizational behavior management is for, you know, companies and increasing that productivity, like Lizzie said that, it's companies can hire uh, BCBAs to change the behavior of their workers. And I think that that people don't even realize that that is something that is an option. Mm -hmm. 
And I work with a girl right now who's just at our center getting our like exposure to the field, but she's a criminal justice major and she wants to work as a behavior analyst in a federal government capacity. And a mm -hmm. lot of people are shocked that it totally makes sense that, you know, at a federal level, you might need to analyze behavior in certain situations. So that's her goal. That's so neat. Yeah, really cool. I don't know if the experience she's getting now is going to help her do that, but it's still fun to have her working with us. All right, so our next question is that ABA is to only intervene on behavior. So if the child, and as we already talked about, behavior is anything you do. So I think with this assumption, a lot of people are thinking more of the uh, attentive behavior or um, maybe self-injurious behavior. And so the thought is, oh, well, if the child doesn't do quote unquote behavior, they can't benefit from ABA. Uh, I'm in go ahead. Oh, go ahead, it doesn't matter. One uh, big, realm I think that I particularly work in with kids is a lot of the verbal behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the manding, which is basically just asking for what you want or what you need. And so a lot of people, once you kind of break it down, that behavior doesn't have to be physical behavior, you know, communication is a form of behavior. Um, and ABA and the study of behavior can reach so many more kids, not just the kids that need you know, help with those physical behaviors. Yeah, and I was gonna say, there's a lot of academic programs out there that um, use ABA principles. Um, I know, you know, some Title I teachers might use something like Reading Mastery. Mm -hmm. um, those are an ABA-guided, like, reading program um, that uses specific strategies to teach reading instruction. Um, and I like to use, um, uh, ABA to kind of help me analyze um, my students when we're learning to read and we're learning sight words or learning math facts and try to see like, well, why isn't my student, like yesterday he had this word, today he's not. Where, where's, where are we falling through the cracks here? And you can use, you know, I can use my knowledge of ABA and the science of learning and the science of behavior to try to figure out like, well, is he not attending to this word? Is it not, why is it not generalizing? And knowing all of the deeper aspects of ABA can help you figure out, well, why aren't they getting this skill? How can I tweak things so that I can make him more successful? And programs like Reading Mastery and I think SRI, I think is another one. Those are all based on um, principles of ABA. So it's not, yeah, just, I, yeah, it's not just, you know, throwing tantrums and helping with tantrums and things like that. There's, it's so multifaceted. I know that that's definitely people think the first thing is, um, on those undesirable behaviors, but I know that I do DTT, that discrete trial training to teach, you know, uh, letter names, letter sounds, numbers, cause I'm in those primary grades, obviously not all the time, but that is one skill in, you know, our big toolbox that we have that I use. And I think that um, it's just good to remember that all these skills that we've learned through ABA and different teaching techniques, um, you know, help kids learn these uh, academic skills too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one thing that, one thing I realized when I was in my coursework and doing my supervision, um, whether it was academic behaviors or, you know, adaptive behaviors, I started to realize like, okay, here's where our deficit is. Oh my gosh, there's a science that can help me figure out how to help this kid in whatever area of behavior they may be struggling with. And so I didn't, I 
felt like I didn't have to keep, like I, in the past, I just felt like I was just kind of like pulling stuff out of the air. Like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try that. Did that work? I don't know. Did this work? And then when I was in my program and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a framework. Like I can finally see like, okay, let's, because we might be needing to learn a very specific skill, DTT might be appropriate to start there and then use NET to generalize it. And I was just blown away because I'm like, I finally have like a path to help figure out what's wrong and how to help these kids. Yeah, I think a huge piece we haven't even talked about is the data collection and, you know, analyzing data because that is huge in ABA and you know to you were saying oh did that work I don't know but now you know whenever we're implementing these strategies that we know we're also collecting data and then we are analyzing that data and so we know did this work yes or no we know why we have hard concrete data um, and I think that that also um, really just makes it you know solidified that we're doing the right thing for the kid and if not then we change it mm -hmm. right absolutely all right, so the next question that we were gonna talk about was, and this one is a little bit more controversial, but that ABA is to fix or cure autism. Who feels brave enough to dive into it first? <laughs> I'll take a stab at it. So the first thing that I wanted to say is, I don't think that autism is something that should be viewed as something that needs to be cured or fixed. <laughs> um, and with ABA, the goal is to create or to increase, um, you know, those socially significant behaviors and improve the lives of the clients and their families and not the lives of everybody else around them. I mean, I often hear from people who aren't in the field, but you know that they need to stop stimming. And when they're in Walmart and they're stimming, people are staring at them. So be it. You know, if it doesn't affect their life, it's if, if it's not harmful to them, if they don't mind, if they're happy, let them be happy. There's no need to try to stop the stimming. And, you know, that's one thing that people often think about with autism. That's one of the first things some people think about. And, you know, like if you stop their stimming, people think, oh, you're just trying to stop their autism or fix or cure it. No, if they're happy, let them be happy. It's about their lives. It's about their family's lives. It's not about how everybody else around them views them. Um, so it's increasing the lives of the clients and their families. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's about their life and their families. And I know all of us are also teachers. So just as we do like inventories with our students' families and when we're writing those IPs, hey, mom and dad, what would you like, you know, your child to work on? What would you like them to improve on? As BCBAs, we do the exact same thing. We talk to the client and what is important to them. It's not what do I want this child to do? Do I want him to do this, that, or the other? It's what does that person want to do? And you know, if that child can advocate for themselves independently, then it'll come from them. And maybe they might need some assistance from mom and dad or other caretakers, whoever they're um, under their who's ever care but it comes from the client as to what they want to improve on. So as VCBAs, our goal is to make that person's life as happy as that person wants to be and what they want to work on. So I think that is something that um, a lot of people don't realize or may not understand clearly that it's, it's not about us and it's about the, the kiddo and the individual that we're working with and what they want. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to realize that we have ongoing um, like 
uh, continuing education that we have to do. And part of that is ethics and that we're constantly learning, we're constantly reevaluating. And part of that is of those ethics is being sure that, you know, we, the client is centered, that it's for, it's what the client client wants. And like you said, you know, we want them to be the happiest that they can be in their life. Absolutely. Uh, but rolling right into another one that's kind of tied into that is I definitely can see where we talk a lot about reinforcement. And when I got my dog and I was training in basic commands, I was giving them a lot of reinforcement. So does that mean that I am treating my clients like dogs or I'm bribing them to do what I want them to do? No, <laughs> like we kind of touched on it earlier that reinforcement is everywhere. I mean, we go to work, you know, five days a week or whatever your schedule may be and you work for that paycheck and you work to be recognized. I mean, if you're going to, you know, teachers earn the same paycheck every time. Um, but, you know, if you're going to put forth your effort, you want to be recognized by your coworkers, your principal, everything like that. So if you were to go to work and do the same thing day in, day out, didn't receive a paycheck, didn't receive any sort of praise or recognition, you probably wouldn't show up to work or you probably wouldn't put forth your best effort that you do because you are being reinforced. Um, so yeah. Right. Well, and like with reinforcement with ABA, it sometimes has a different definition than what layman's terms might have, which we don't have to necessarily get in. But Lizzie, you were saying you get reinforced. So you are increasing your on-task behavior or your good behavior at work or things like that. And a lot of people think that, you know, this reinforcement is bribery, but they are very different. And, you know, if a kid is having, for example, a tantrum and you say, oh, if you stop, you get this. Um, if you're just doing it in the moment, yeah, that might be bribery. But if you are planning the contingency ahead of time, you have a plan with that student, they know if they are completing that desirable behavior that they get their reinforcer or whatever positive con consequence that's going to increase that positive behavior, that's reinforcement. You know, it's those ABCs of behavior, looking at the antecedent, the behavior and the consequence, not just doing things kind of on the spot. Yeah, I like to kind of think of bribery as reactive and reinforcement is proactive. So with bribery, you're kind of hoping and praying that they do what you want them to do. Like, um, like Abby said, like, you know, you're in the grocery store, kids throwing a tantrum. Oh my gosh, if you like stop right now, you get this candy bar. And you're just hoping that they listen to that and stop, but it's not guaranteed. And um, with reinforcement, you're being proactive and you know that that the situation that's coming up is something that they tend to get upset over or they tend to struggle through so you're going to be more proactive and you have you know that first then can work a lot so first you do this and then you will get the candy bar like first stand in stand by mommy then you get the candy bar as soon as they follow through so um i think it's important to understand that difference because i that that myth is definitely prevalent out there for sure um i see it you know with with my own dogs, like when they were getting trained, um, you know, when I was learning how to work with them, with their trainer, I was using a lot of reactive stuff. I was trying to bribe them and it just was not working. And then I remembered, wait, plan ahead, reinforcement, follow, you know, reinforce what I want to see. And then you should see more of it. So, yeah. I love your example because I feel like it's really, um, it can be like a slight change of timing. And I think that that's a really good example of how you described it in the grocery store. And I really like that. 
Yeah, I, and I think that's something that, you know, confuses people is reinforcement needs to happen like immediately when you see that behavior that you want to see happen more of. If you do it beforehand, chances are it's probably gonna be bribery and then you don't know if it's gonna work, but that reinforcement, the key to it is it comes after that behavior that you wanna see. And yeah, it, it gets tricky at first, but once you have practice in recognizing and practicing with it, then um, you know it's easier to understand. And bribery is not going to continue to change that future behavior. It's not going to increase it in the future. You know, it's doing it on the spot. It's putting a Band-Aid on yep. um, a big fire, right? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Is that analogy that makes sense? Throwing a cup of water on a giant flame on a fire. Yes, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> All right, and the last one we're going to dive into is that ABA is a one-and-done therapy, or like ABA will fix all of your problems, and I see that sometimes with parents who are coming in, and they think, oh, my, my child will get ABA for six months, and all of our problems will go away. Does anyone want to talk about that concept? Yeah, so a lot of parents, or not a lot, some parents, when you come in, they think that you have this magic pill. You're going to come in once, you're going to work with their kid, and then life is good, and with ABA, everybody has to be on board you know the parents have to be on board the client has to be on board if they're going to school the people at school have to be on board all their extra service providers have to be on board and with aba like we only practice within our scope of competency so you know if a child's struggling with communication you really need to collaborate with those slps and get on board with them so they can help you where you aren't competent enough to do it so it's not a magic pill it's a lot of teamwork and a lot of effort constantly going in and constantly kind of tweaking things that don't make sense or don't work you know sometimes you go in and you're like this is it this is gonna work this is gonna be great and you go and you're like nope not it so it's a lot of readjusting and adjusting as the client grows and the client changes and matures and their interests change it's a lot of teamwork and a lot of adjustment that goes into the success mm -hmm. yeah and i think um I mean, with anything in life, when you're trying to change a behavior, I mean, it's, it's, there is no magic pill, whether we're talking about, um, you know, our kiddos or learning math facts or helping with our nutrition or learning a skill like dancing or sports, you're not going to like just suddenly know what to do when someone tells you the first time or, you know, like I do Irish dancing and I play soccer. If I get injured, I have to go see a physical therapist. My dance teacher may not know how to help me if I'm injured. So I have to collaborate with other people. And it's like, if I learn a new skill in soccer, I'm not, I can't be expected to just know it in practice and then go ahead and do it right away on the soccer field in the middle of the big game. Like you, it's, it's a long process. Behavior takes a lot of time to change sometimes because that's just how we are as humans we're not robots we don't you can't program us and say okay tweak turn this knob press this button now they know how to do this it, that's just not how humans work um it's just one little piece in the whole cog of the machine so and i think you guys will touch on this it's so important to have like the whole team together um i know that at least where i'm from it's not huge to collaborate with the ABA clinic 
that's happening outside of school with school. And I think that just because of my experience, you know, I know that important, um, it's so important to have that collaboration. So I will always reach out, you know, I know some of the clinics in the area. Um, but I think that having everyone on the same page is so important because if you have a different reinforcement schedule at home than you do at school, you know, you're going to see those behaviors, um, possibly. And I think that that's so important to get, you know, like you guys are saying, every single person on the same page, you know, doing the same teaching techniques, you know, figuring out if it work, what works maybe here might not work here, or if it does work here, you know, what is that person doing to make it work? Yeah. And I think, I think you're, you're dead on. Like I, I see that also sometimes in my life too, where, you know, I may inherit a student who gets ABA at a different clinic and I want to reach out, but that's not always the first thought for some teachers because they just think, oh, it's a private therapy that they get. Um, or, or if my student gets private PT or private speech or whatever, I, you know, I think it's important to collaborate, um, even with our doctors. Um, I know like in, in the clinical setting, um, it's kind of more, I don't know the right word I'm thinking of, but, um, I think of it more often, I guess, in a clinical setting, like, okay, my kiddos, um, sees a doctor. I want to collaborate with that person, especially to rule out any medical need that the child might have. Like if we see a new behavior, I want to rule out the medical part first. So I want to contact the doctor and I've had like zoom calls with doctors of my clients before. And I think we also need to do that in a school setting too. Um, especially if your student has some medical needs, it would be you know important to say to mom and dad, like, Hey, next at the next time when they go to the doctor, is there anything that, that you would like me to share with that doctor? Um, just to keep everybody in the loop because there's so many pieces moving and moving parts and stuff. So if we're all on the same page and talking as much as we can, then you're going to have more consistency and, and more success over time. Just a point off of that. I remember I had a client or not a client with this when I was a teacher about four years ago and she ended up needing glasses and it took us a while to figure out that that was the issue. So we started she was really struggling to see the board. And so we saw a lot of escape behavior whenever we're doing something on the board and we're trying all of these interventions and modifications. And they finally went to the doctor and realized she needed glasses. And when she got her glasses, she was able to see, she wasn't feeling dizzy anymore and she participated in class. But if we hadn't had that collaboration, poor kid would have been dizzy and I would have been like, want a token? And it never would have worked. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If you don't talk to everybody on the team, something as simple as needing glasses could have turned into this like major problem and nothing no interventions you were trying might have worked because you weren't you were putting a band-aid on something that wasn't treating the actual root cause mm -hmm. yeah all right so those are all the questions i had for you guys but do any of you have anything that you really wish we had talked about that you want to throw out now i don't think so those were definitely the top myths that I hear that people, you know, say to me or ask me. And so I think it's good just to get like-minded people together to chat about it. Yeah. I think the only other thing I could think of is just for anybody who doesn't know as much about ABA, maybe just keep an open mind. And sometimes I hear, and we didn't really talk about it, but sometimes I hear, oh, I don't need that for my kind of classroom because every classroom's different and stuff. But I think it's important to have an open mind and understand that ABA is more than just what we've kind of been talking about, more than just these myths. And it can be used for so many different purposes and people. 
perfect note to end on. So thank you all for joining this roundtable. I will have all of their handles linked in the show notes of this podcast. Be sure to go check them out and thank you guys for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and you can visit me at adaptationstation.net. I can't wait to bring you guys the next episode, and I'll talk again soon.